Habakkuk, I know it. Habakkuk is the way I'm pronouncing it. It could also be pronounced Habakkuk. I may inadvertently use both ways. If it was up to me, I probably would have said Mike. But his name is Habakkuk. Verse 1. The burden which, pro- the, which the prophet Habakkuk saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore perverse judgment proceeds. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a a work in your days, which you would not believe, though it were told you. For indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places, which are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses also are swifter than leopards, and more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. They scoff at kings, and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold, and they heap up earthen mounds and seize it. Then his mind changes and he transgresses. He commits offense. Are you not uh, ascribing this power to his God? Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have appointed them for judgment. O rock, you have marked them for correction. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? Why do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no ruler over them? They take up all of them with a hook. They catch them in their net and gather them in their dragnet. Therefore they rejoice and are glad. Therefore they sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their dragnet. Because they, or because by them their share is sumptuous and their food plentiful, shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay the nations without pity? Let us pray. Father, we are reading your word. You have granted to Habakkuk this time of a vision, a time of understanding. And I ask that you anoint each of us to gain from it what you have. I ask that you speak through me as you would. Just let your words be true to our hearts. And may we see you for who you are, a holy and wonderful God. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.
So here in, in chapter 1, we see Habakkuk. He's questioning, regard, questioning God in regards to the injustice that he sees all around him. And I'm skipping verse 1, but verse 2. How long shall I cry and you not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. He's calling out. We need help. Do something. But he's seeking help. Not from the tyranny of an oppressing nation, but from his own people. He continues on and says, Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. Strife and contention arises, and therefore the law is powerless, and justice never goes forth. These are things that their control, they have control of in their own nation. But the nation has turned corrupt. And he's seeking God for that deliverance, that help, that understanding as to why these things are being allowed to continue forward. He even says at the very last, therefore perverse judgment proceeds. I hate to say it, but... We see these things in our own nation at this time as well. There's a lot of things that take place that we don't know why God allows them. Other than the fact that as we keep reading, we will recognize that God is the one who is in control and he has a purpose. In verse 5, God responds then and he says, Look among the nations and watch. And he says, You'll be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days, which you would not believe, though it were told to you. So he's telling him, Just watch what I am doing. There is something happening. As he goes on, though, in verse 6, he says, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. Also, we know them as the Babylonians. And they are a harsh country, a harsh nation, who when they come in, they break up countries, they destroy them, they ship the people off into varieties of areas so that they cannot be united anymore. We know, because we've read this before, not necessarily this, but from other chapter or other books in the Bible, we know that the Israelite nation does remain a nation. But no other nation ever has. And at this time, Habakkuk can't see it that way. God says, I am indeed, and this is in 6, I am indeed raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth, to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and dig their dignity proceed from themselves. In other words, they are harsh, <clears throat> but they do these they make these rules of themselves. They are not following the leading of any man or God. They are a rule to themselves, their own power. And because they do sweep through, they move on in, 
and just destroy. Nobody's able to stop them. It's, it's up to God to stop them for that. It speaks of how their armies travel, that they're fast, that they're fierce, and they just swoop down and drop in on you. In 9, they all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. They basically come in and take everything that they want. They have no need of anything because they take it. And nobody is there to stop them. Nobody is strong enough to. In 10, they scoff at kings and princes. And the princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold. So anybody who speaks out against them, they mock them and they come in and they'll overpower them. Nobody can stand against these, this mighty nation. In verse 11, then his mind changes and he transgresses, he commits offense, ascribing this power to his God. So here now, they're claiming out that they are following their God. As we continue to read on, we see that their God is their weapons, their tools. It talks about people as fish and using the hook and the net and the drag net to capture us, capture people and, and, and take things. And this is what they burn their incense to and, and offer sacrifices to. So that's the power of their God is what they are able to do on their own. Habakkuk, through all of this time, is communing with God from his heart. He opens it up asking why do these things take place around us? Why am I seeing such evil from my own people towards those who are living right before you? And God says, it's not going to be that way forever. So Habakkuk continues on and he says in verse 12, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? And then he says, we shall not die. Or, O Lord, have you, you have appointed them for judgment. Habakkuk here is now thinking about the terribleness of the Chaldeans when they come in. And he's fearful that they're going to all be killed. But he says, we shall not die. I believe he's trying to remind God of the promises that God has made that a Messiah is coming out of the tribe of Israel, out of the nation of Israel, and actually out of the tribe of Judah. So, and so he's trying to remind him, you've only appointed them for judgment, not for destruction, right? In 13, he says, you are of purer eyes than to behold evil. So he's saying, you're holy. How can you look at such evilness and let it go? Even using those, and as we continue on, it's even using those 
who are less righteous than we are. We are your chosen people. How can you use somebody else to judge us? Why aren't you doing this? That's what, that's what he's asking here. And then it goes on talking about men being like the fish. They get captured and taken. He's, he's worried about we're all going to be slaughtered before this country, this nation. So in chapter 2, God answers, or no, before God answers, Habakkuk says in verse 1, I will stand my watch and set myself, or set, yeah, set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. So he is looking at this and he knows that he is not right in his way of thinking that God's promise is true. He knows that his way of thinking has to be corrected. So he's, he's waiting and listening. This is a very important part of all prayer. You can ask God things deep from your heart. Question as to why things are happening. But stop and listen and wait. And if he does correct you, take heed. But he says he st- he goes to the, he's going to the rampart. The rampart was a high part of the wall so you can see from afar who's coming. And in this case, he's just saying, I'm looking expectantly for your answer to come to me. So in verse 2, the Lord does answer. And he says, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. So God is telling him, I'm going to show you what's going to take place. Here's what's happening. Write it down. Make it so it lasts. Write it on on stone. And it was so that the people, when they saw it, could run. Why they would run would be running for their lives, is what I would say. Um, But he says, it is for an appointed time. It will come. And you will see it. The idea here is make your heart right. Set your life in order. A lot of this, like I said before, parallels our nation. We can see these things happening again now in our lifetime. And I'm not saying it doesn't happen from time to time with many different countries. If they follow God and then turn away, God brings this about in order to correct them, to call them back. I don't know. I'm not a historian. I'm not really good with a lot of history. We know that for the Israelite people, This is a time when they're taken into captivity. 
for us. We started off as a, a Christian nation. And I pray we're not taken into captivity, but we don't know what's taking place. There is forces at work that we don't see. It is forces of Satan. And they are trying to overthrow God in every form. Trying to overthrow Christianity so that no man can walk with Him. So it is, this is a warning to us also. Make sure our hearts are set right. And it is a warning for us to, or announcement to us to warn our families our friends, our neighbors, and any that we come across on the highways and byways of our own lives. Let them know God is alive. He is active. And even though we see corruption all around us, there is judgment coming. And not, well, to be ready for it, not to follow into it, but but be ready and expecting that God is coming. I also believe a lot of this shows us or is is referring to revelation. None of this is usually listed that I've ever seen or heard as prophetic like revelation. But how fierce the Chaldeans are being, and I think the term Chaldeans is just being in general, but I think the fierceness of the Chaldeans is, is showing us the fierceness that the Antichrist is going to have when he comes upon the earth in the time of Revelation. And so all the destruction that will be taking place with him doing this. In Ephesians 2.8, It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God. And that's what we need to proclaim to all of these around us. To not lose heart. But to remember, God's gift is here for you. And to stand true. Verse 4 Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. And that is what we all need to do. Live by our faith in Christ. It is a measure that is granted to each one of us. Verses 5 through 19 continue on. And they are talking about the judgment that God is going to bring upon those. It's, it's a listing of woes that are going to be upon those who are doing evil. Except for verse 14. Verse 14, and I'm going to read it. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is showing us that whether the remnant being us 
we know of God, we are sharing that. Or if, like it is in Revelation, if this is speaking of the two witnesses, in Revelation it tells us that they will be seen around the world. Today's technology allows that. With things that are taking place, the new satellite technology, it's making it more and more local to everybody to have Internet service. So to stream the video of what's going to happen with the two witnesses, how they stand and proclaim God throughout the world from that point in Israel, and then the, the death of them and the rejoicing that the people all have will be seen, as well as their raising from the dead. And with that will be complete awe and shock upon the world. All of this, to me, transforms, moves right into Revelation so well. And I don't know, you know, if I'm way off base, it's possible, but this is the way I see it. So in verse 20 then, he ends this chapter with, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. So after even more woes are proclaimed, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. God is almighty. Revere him. This, this is a proclamation, I think, that would take place after the two witnesses, after they're lifted up. And so that the people who are still, you know, following the Antichrist, who are mocking God or saying he's not real, but seeing the power that, that God has performed before them, will be silent. They will recognize that it is God's power. It is God's world, his universe. And that he holds everything together and is in control of everything. As we continue, chapter 3 is going to be Habakkuk's response now to all of this that God has shown him, to the visions and everything. And it says, the very first verse says, it is on Shigianoth. Shigianoth is saying that it is a very emotional um, speech or response that, that Habakkuk is having, that this is being said with a lot of emotion. And we see that it's done like a poem or even like a song. And at the end, he calls for it to be put to music. So he says, O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of, of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. So he's saying here, I've heard you. And he says, revive your work. Elsewhere we read that we are the workmanship of God. 
So what Habakkuk is calling for is revive your people. Revive the Israelites, your people, that we will follow you wholly. He says, make yourself known. And he says, but have mercy. I still fear the Chaldeans. They're a very harsh nation, a very harsh people. And their destruction will destroy many. Have mercy, please. In 3 through 7, it speaks of God, where he's come from, the fact that his glory has covered the heavens. It, it is a wonderful description here. It, it, well, I'll just read it. His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the sun or was like the light. He had rays flashing from his hand and there and there his power was hidden. Before him went pestilence and fever followed at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and startled the nations, and the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills bowed. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian trembled. This is talking about God's presence on the earth. Just the first part of it speaks of, of the light shining or coming from his hands. The way he just shone. And his brightness. How, how bright it was to look upon him. And it says his power was hidden. And that tells us a lot also, because we know God, as believers, we know that God holds everything together. But we never really see it. We never think about it that much. But He holds in His hand the universe. He holds the molecules together. And again, at the time, at the, at the time of the end of Revelation, when he creates a new heaven and a new earth, the old will be burned. He just releases it. What kind of power is that? Just to hold it together, let it go, and then make it anew. It talks about pestilence and fever. And that is that nobody could look upon him with, and live if they weren't already in a glorified body, I'd say. He measures the earth and the nations are startled. But it goes on, it says, the mountains were scattered. Nothing could stand before him. The perpetual hills, things that we thought were going to last forever, they bow, bow down before him. They just crumble at his feet. The tents of Kushan and the curtains in the land of Midian that's the sky. The heavens shake. This is a God of power. We know that our God is this God. 
we don't have any likenesses of Him. And there's no way that we actually could make anything that would even truly represent. We've got the images uh, on the stained glass windows of Christ, who is His representation. But even with that, we don't see the actual power that was behind Him. We just know that people would touch His, his clothing and be healed. He would speak to them and they would be made new. So in continuing on. Um, Yeah, as it continues, it speaks further all the way up until... uh, Well, I'm going to say until verse 11, it speaks of of his power and everything revering him. In verse 12, though, you marched through the land in indignation. You trampled the nations in anger. Again, this is revelation. You went forth for the salvation of your people, for salvation with your anointed. You struck the head and the house of the wicked, by laying bare from the foundation to the neck. All of this is just showing what what Christ is going to do when he returns and how that nothing can stand before him. It says that he did this for his people. I would say, yes, it will be the Israelites. They are his people. But it is also for those of us that are Christians, those who call on Christ for salvation. You thrust through with you thrust through with his own arrows the head of his villages. They came out like a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was like feasting on the poor in secret. So here they are coming out, and this first part sounds like it's confusion, like we've seen elsewhere as well. You thrust through with his own arrows. With their own weapons, they're killing one another. And then they came out like a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was like feasting on the poor in secret. They were in a rage, a rage against God and against His people. You walk through the sea with your horses, through the heap of great waters. This is, this is what Christ is doing. He's walking through the sea with the horses. Nothing is in His way. And as we follow Him, we're going right along through the waters. Nothing is stopping it. When I heard, my body trembled, my lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself, that I might rest in the day of trouble when he comes up to the people. He will invade them with his troops. So here, Habakkuk is revealing what it is that took place with this vision within himself. Because of this vision, 
he felt basically like death came upon him. Seeing Christ for who he is, the power of life, he recognizes his mortality. It says, rottenness entered his bones. And I almost think it's just kind of like saying, I became weak. I had no strength to me. Then in 17, going down through, oh no, all of 17. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. That is an utter poverty. That is no food. This was an agrarian society. They lived off of their farming. They've got absolutely nothing. I think in our time, we're not necessarily agrarians. And most of the world is not wholly agrarian anymore. But this is saying there is nothing. This will be complete poverty. And so there is that, that part that will be stricken. And what Habakkuk has to say with this, and this should be our response as well. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. And he will make me walk on my high hills. I don't know. Here, deer hunting is different than it was for me in California. In California, we didn't do a lot of brush hunting. It was always in the mountains and across from peak to peak, stuff like that. But watching the deer as they travel along, very sure-footed on next to nothing there. So he's telling us here, trust in him and our feet will be made small and strong and the ground we walk on will be seemingly large and easy to traverse. We may see trouble, but we'll get through it. God is there with us. He is there to comfort and strengthen us. And then in this last piece he says, this is to the chief musician with my stringed instruments. So he's, this is to be written to song. As we've read through this, we know in history, mostly through Bible history on my part, that some of these things have come to pass and some may return. Like I was saying, I believe this refers to a lot of revelation. This was directed toward the people of Israel. But God's holiness is who he is. And many of his promises are for all who would trust in him. Therefore, we need to, as Habakkuk, speak these last two verses. Yet I will trust in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. Those words 
are what we need to live by. We need to trust in Him for our walk every day, no matter what we see happening around us. There may be injustice. There may be cruelty. There may be mistreatment of sorts. But God is in control. He is working all things out for His glory, for His purpose. For He is a righteous God. And no, He does not like looking at these things upon His people or even on His earth that He made. But it was by man's choice that they've come about. And it is by man's choice, our choice, that we can serve Him and live through it. Let us pray.